roses turn to scat It's better because of you and that's a fact I feel we're, we're in this together, you and I We're in this together, you and I And I just don't have the video connected And so, because it's not encoding the video data the file sizes are way smaller, but if I record okay. the video of myself and then have to edit it in post, then all the files are like 10 gigabytes because it's recording the video the whole time. And that's bad. Versus like a 40 megabyte file. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah, much with. better. Much better to, to do it as you're doing it because it's just a pain in the ass to. But did you see for the brief moment that it was on that I am going with the mustache? I saw you had the porn stash going on. Yep. For the first time Let's, in my life. Yeah, I see that. Uh, and you have a mustache versus, you know, kind of um, a thin, wispy caterpillar style. Right. Yeah, no, it finally grew in. I was inspired by the guy who they cast to play Larry Bird in Winning Time. <laughs> I saw him spitting his chew into the beer can the first time he and Magic are on screen together. Oh, yeah. And I was like, damn, nobody's badass like that anymore. And maybe it's yeah. maybe it's the mustache, not the incredible basketball skill. Yeah, Larry wasn't badass like that either, but that's okay. I'm gonna I know I'm not saying that it was accurate. I'm saying I'm saying that 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 guy who was cast that way looked badass. I didn't say I was inspired by Larry Bird. I said I was inspired that's, that's by the guy well. cast as Larry Bird in that's Winning I like Time. Because Larry Bird like did briefly have a mustache, but his was pencil thin versus the guy who they cast as Larry Bird had a pretty solid mustache. Yeah, he did. He did. And his hairstyle, though, was pretty spot on to what Larry was was sporting at the time and then he had i don't know he had some weird hairstyle going on he had he had some odd if i could grow out if i had that amount of hair to grow out i would try to go for that larry bird haircut because nobody has that it's not even like really a mullet it's just its own kind of thing but, but there's a good reason nobody has that no it looks i mean yeah he looks a little bit like big bird and his last name's bird so that i mean it it all adds up but you know, it's also kind of cool too. So yeah, I, I shaved the I, the beard down to a one and kept the mustache. Yeah. And now I won't look like every white guy with a beard and glasses. I'll look like every white guy with a mustache and glasses. Oh, there you go. Which there I think go. is a smaller subsect. So it is absolutely. People a will subject. not text me at midnight when they're at a bar going, "I just saw your twin, and it's some random white guy with a beard and glasses who looks nothing like me." As happened well, Friday night when I happened to be inspired oh, to shave my beard. You know what? Uh, it's uh, you know everyone. We all. It's look a like tough it. world being discriminated against, but it is. It is. <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to what is this called? You'll understand when you're younger. It's a weekly podcast where my dad and I talk about something and the stuff that we learned on the internet our intro song is you and i by ted heineshevitz shout out to ted um a lot of people have been listening to the song lately i'd like to take no credit for that 
but you should listen <laughs> to the song because it's good. And that's why more people have been listening to it. You and I, Absolutely. Ted Heineshevitz, he's got a whole couple of albums on there on Spotify, can buy it directly on Bandcamp, really anywhere where you listen to music. So thanks, special thanks to Ted. Uh, what's the weekly question, Pop? All right, so I do have to ask you, did you read the weekly question before the show? And the, the, uh, I'm just curious to see if you did or not. I, can, I, can... I did not. Perfect. Good, 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 good. So uh, the question this week is one that uh, I have, that was, this is probably the first question that I thought of when I thought of what a weekly question, but I thought that I would let us get into this a little bit before we brought it up. So my question is, what ridiculous thing has someone tricked you into doing or believing? Um, I So I have like a really memorable occasion of when you tried to make me do something specifically, but I didn't fall for it at the time. And I still, I, I, I don't have like a specific instance that I can think of that sticks out. Do you have one for me that you can think of? I do. I, I uh, you want me to tell the Beatles story? I do. That's really Taylor's story, but I can tell it. I think you need to tell it because even though it is Taylor's story, it's still you. Uh, it did were start with me. It did start yes. with me, but it, yeah, Taylor absolutely. really pushed it over the top. So, so I'll, I'm going to monopolize the time and I'm going to say two. The first one's quick. My grandparents are Catholic. We are <laughs> Lutheran. <laughs> And we would often go to Catholic Mass with them on holidays. And uh, one holiday, we were standing in the uh, foyer. What do they call that in a church? Yeah, 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 the vestibule, the foyer. Yeah, the vestibule after the Mass. And my dad goes... So I wanted to be a minister at the time. I thought that was a really cool gig. I've since gone on to become an electrical engineer. You can probably assume that somewhere along the way something changed but uh at that point i still thought they were amazing and my dad was like oh you should go talk to the talk to him tell him he did a good job and i was like what would i say and uh it happened to be the end of october when we were there and that's the reformation day um for lutherans and other protestant faiths and my dad said, oh, well, why don't you ask him why they don't celebrate Reformation Day? But I was, even young, I was smart as a whip, and I already knew why they didn't <laughs> celebrate Reformation Day. And so I said no, but I was very upset. And that sticks in my head that you thought you could trick me into asking a priest why they don't celebrate or how they celebrate Reformation Day. But here's the Beatles story. Um. My mom was a teacher for 28 years, uh, and she was friends with one of the counselors. His name was David. And uh, I would often go on my days off of school when my mom would still have school and sit underneath her desk and color, uh, as was my want. And uh, so one time I was there, and David came up to say hello to me because he and mom were close friends and he had heard about me and wanted to meet me and he knew I was going to be there that day. And yep. so he brought me up one of those little guitar hero guitars, even though there was no guitar hero station to be found, but I had never seen one before and I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And, uh, so then I was, I thanked him and he left and eventually he came back with a letter 
a uh, <laughs> photocopy of a letter to be exact. And he said, here, you can open this up and read this when you go home. Uh, but I had a, an amazing time talking with you about music today. And I go home. He gave me the Guitar Hero guitar to keep, which was cool. And then I opened up the letter. And I have it on my wall. Should I go grab it real quick? We can just yeah. sniff the podcast yeah. down here. Yeah. All right, so this is a letter that is framed and hanging on my wall at all times, except for now when I've pulled it down to read it to you guys. And it reads the following. Jordan, good luck with the guitar. I don't know if you have heard of the Beatles, but they used to be my band before I decided to be a school counselor. Have fun playing and singing, and maybe you will be in a band someday like me. If you are even in school... Have you, if you are ever in school, have your mom bring you in. I would, I'd like to meet you again. Your friend, David. And then uh, he had f a photocopy of all four Beatles, <laughs> except for um, George Harrison, where he had cut out his school picture and, and taped it onto the paper. This is how photocopies used to work, everybody. Uh, <laughs> Or, and, or Photoshop. Yes, and photocopied co himself over George Harrison. So it's a photo of John, Paul, Ringo, and David, the fourth Beatle. All right? <laughs> so I was pumped about this. I had never heard of the Beatles before, except in one place, Fuddruckers, which we had a location nearby. Yes. And they had a, a booth, this particular Fuddruckers did, that had a million photos of the Beatles, like all in a row, right next to each other, hanging all over the wall. I'd forgotten it was, about this part. It was the Beatles booth, and so I was like, "Wait, the Beatles!" I remember sitting in the Beatles booth and my dad telling me when I asked who these people were that they were the Beatles. Like that's so cool that I I met him and he was one of the Beatles. <laughs> so I come home, I tell dad that I met one of the Beatles. He's like, "Oh, that's great," and. Mom's like, yeah, isn't that great? Like, oh, so, so cool that he gave you that guitar. And I was like, amazing. And I'm like, Taylor, I met one of the Beatles today. Taylor's three years older than me, still somehow had not heard of the Beatles. Uh, and I was like, oh, check out this letter and this guitar. He's like, oh, that's so cool. We'll have to buy Guitar Hero so I can play with the guitar. Whatever. We go to Fuddruckers. <laughs> And I'm like, let's sit in the Beatle booth. Let's sit in the Beatle booth. This is a couple months later. And mom and dad are like, fine. And we're walking over to the Beatle booth. And I go, now, which one's David? He's the one with the mustache, right? Um, <laughs> which in a lot of the photos that we were looking at would have been Ringo. But they had long forgotten that he had um, photocopied himself over George. Uh, so they just agreed. So then I thought Ringo was David because I didn't have the letter on hand and couldn't really <laughs> run an analysis of the photos. So this was the second confirmation that this story was true. I knew a Beatle. His photos were all over this booth. And Taylor was right next to me to hear it. And and so all fine and dandy, right? Come end of fall, right? <laughs> Almost in time for like final tests and winter break. And Taylor comes home absolutely fuming from school and 
mom makes dinner, we all sit down, and then there's like that traditional family question like, oh, how was your day? And you either get a fine or a good or a bad. And Taylor goes, nope. Taylor goes, uh, well, I have to tell you something. And mom goes, what? And he goes, I got called to the principal's office today. And um, so she, in an angry tone, assuming that Taylor had done something wrong, as often one does when going to the principal's office, goes, well, why did you get called to the principal's office today? And he goes, <laughs> because m my teacher said that I was a compulsive liar. <laughs> which is a which is a great accusation to have from your teacher, right? So, so even though this story wasn't a lie from Taylor, you have to question how the teacher formed that opinion. Um, right. <laughs> anyway, mom goes, "Well, wh why did you accuse you of that?" And he says, "Well, we were we were doing a m music unit in music class, and I, and she was asking if anybody knew who the Beatles were, and I raised my hand and I said." <laughs> that I knew a Beatle and that he <laughs> he worked with you and he used to be one of the Beatles. And she goes, Paul or uh, Ringo? And he and I go, no, his name is David. And she goes, okay, very funny. There's no David who was a Beatle. So like, like good one. And he and Taylor doubles down on it because he's seen the letter. He got the confirmation from the booth. No, yeah. my mom works uh, with a beetle and his name is David. He's one of the four beetles. And so Taylor got sent out and yelled at by the teacher for trying to make a joke while she was busy teaching and monopolizing it and then sent to the principal's office for being a compulsive liar. Taylor comes home and tells us this story. And then all of a sudden, my dad, you, start laughing really <laughs> hard because you guys realize now months later that Taylor had believed your chicanery around the the Beatles incident. And so Taylor's pissed. He's like, how could you guys lie to me about this? I'm getting in trouble at school for lies that you guys are telling me. And then I, damaged by Taylor's damage, and also just by, I mean, it was a rough year. I'm pretty sure that was the year Santa got ruined for me too, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I just said he got ruined for me. He could be a bad guy. Uh, Santa got ruined for me, too. I started wailing and screaming and throwing my food about the room. And I must have been in, uh, I think I would have been in second grade at the time. Yeah, you're, you were young. Uh, but old enough to not really have a temper tantrum. But I was having a temper tantrum, and I was screaming, How could you do this to me? How could you lie to me? I can't enact it very well now. Uh, and Taylor was pissed and then he went to his room and didn't eat. And I sat there and wailed loudly for another 15 minutes. <laughs> and that night has been called the Beatles incident ever since. Now, I don't know if I delivered that very well. Um, generally I like to tell it when Taylor's around so that we can kind of play off of each other, but that's the best my memory can serve me. So yes, I still have the letter. I kept it and it's now framed because, Though it wasn't funny at the time, it is one of my favorite stories. So I was tricked. It is absolutely a good story. I was tricked into believing that I knew a beetle. I was so, gaslit. You were. Uh, so I do need to, I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, Jordan, okay. which is part of the other reasons why I asked this, I wanted to ask this question. About, about so, time. 
for Christ's sake, I've been hearing <laughs> the same shit for the last 10 years. Well, uh, so there must be some hereditary uh, uh, play into this type of, of a thing because I, just like you, got bamboozled. You got gassed by, by your parents? By my, well, by my dad. Oh, by my man. dad. Not, I, I wouldn't necessarily say my, my parents. But the challenge here is that uh, I think he was believing what he was telling me, and it was not a good situation for me. Um, and uh, I came home and was not happy with my dad either. Uh, so this happened when I was probably in fourth or fifth grade. So right around the same time, uh, same age as Taylor. And uh, we were sitting there in confirmation. So I was at a church in confirmation. So every Wednesday night we would go and do confirmation classes Previous to the classes themselves, we would do a dinner, and the dinner you would bring oh, yeah. dinner in for the whole group. Um, just it was just your group eat dinner, and so during the dinner you'd talk about things, right? Right. And so we started talking about football, you know, because you know I was you know fourth fifth grade, I played football, I love football, everyone loved football, and we started talking about the Vikings and started talking about various different things. Well, one of the things that they talked about was, hey, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? And so I said, well, it doesn't even matter who wins the Super Bowl because it's rigged. And, and the, the, my, my uh, confirmation teacher is like, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, the whole thing's rigged. The mob owns all of the stuff for, from the NFL. No, you know, all the games are rigged. That's why there's so much gambling on oh, them. Man. And so, so, so my teacher's like, what are you talking about? And then, of course, all the other kids are like, Brian, you're nuts, man. The NFL's not rigged. I'm like, yeah, it is. My dad told me it was rigged. So, like, like when, when the, you know, uh, the Miami Dolphins had their perfect season. It was because the gamblers got involved, and 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 uh, and uh, Coach Shula was in, in, involved with them, and they were, and that's why they ended up winning that season. Oh man! And, and that's why the Vikings has never won a Super Bowl because it's always been rigged. And so, of course, I, no one in the class is believing any of this, and they're right. looking at me like, "Yeah, you're, you're a, a nut job." Oh yeah, you're a nut job, and wh why would you even believe anything like that? And, and so it got to the point where it's very similar to Taylor, the confirmation teacher, I, you know, you know me, I, I don't, I'm not exactly, uh, willing I, I to change your it, mind. Uh, uh, yes. And, and I can be somewhat intense sometimes. And so, uh, the teacher <laughs> brings me out into the hallway and he's like, Ryan, I don't know what this scoop is, but the NFL is not rigged. I'm like, my dad told me it's rigged. It's absolutely rigged. And I just, I wouldn't back down. Oh, man. And so he, so yeah. So I was, uh, <laughs> you I, I were went the, back you in were one of those kids. <laughs> I was, oh, it was bad. And so I went back into the, into the thing. And, and one of my buddies is like, dude, I don't know what your dad was telling you, but it, this is not true. And I was like, what? And so I get home. And of course I asked my dad, and I said, dad, we had this discussion about the NFL and it's rigged. He's like, it is. And so he he still, I don't know if he still believes I'm it, but he certain, did it at that time. I'm certain he still believes that to oh this day. Oh my gosh. It was, it was the most uncomfortable situation I've ever been in personally in, you know, at it's for sure at that time, but maybe even since then, because I was, you know, hardcore right. defending the fact uh, that the NFL was rigged. Especially at that age, even when yeah. you're, once you're sitting at a table where everybody is telling you that not only have you said something wrong, but you're saying something kind of nutty like not only yes. is it i had a, a a similar experience not worth getting into not with myself but one of my confirmation like buddies sure. uh, yep. almost like basically did the same thing that you did and it's tough because then like 
you feel so uncomfortable about being yeah. not just wrong, but so wrong that oh, and man, confused that so about why you're wrong that yep. you can't even admit it, which might have been how it went with Taylor at the school too, why he doubled sure. down and said, yep. hey, because it's just, it's so humiliating to realize yes. that everybody realizes something that you don't and that you're right. staunchly defending the opposite point. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, I can still Irreparable feel... emotional damage. Yeah. See how that happened to you? Guess who yeah. Guess who else that happened to? Your son. <laughs> Good for him. Maybe you can pass that on. <laughs> I can still feel the sweat from like the back of my, my head all the way down my back uh -huh. that I was feeling and the redness in my face. I, and just, just like, this is, this can't really be happening to me. And mm -hmm. it, and it did. So it happened to Taylor um, too. Absolutely. <laughs> like I said, it could be hereditary. So either, either Taylor, Taylor or you, one of you guys, it's, it's, you have I to. know you're, that you're Taylor won't do that to his kids. I can see myself accidentally doing that because I'm playing a joke <laughs> on them, but I'm 100% certain that Taylor will never allow his child to be in a scenario where that could happen. Maybe after he hears never, this. Never, ever. Uh, that's a good what? question, though, Dad. And no, you had not told me that story. Okay, so um, a lot of stuff has been happening recently in the last 250 years pertaining to the <laughs> U.S. government. <laughs> Re quote, unquote, recently. Yes, in the past 250 years, a lot has been happening regarding the United States uh, government structure. And instead of talking about specific issues, I think that some of the problem that we face as citizens is uh, the um, amount of knowledge we retain about how our government actually works, because it's a tricky right. little system that they devised. And so I thought we could talk about federalism, sure, how it was conceived, what it was meant to do, and then you and I can just kind of evaluate the different parts on on not on how they've been executed, but whether or not you as a founding father would have made the same decision. Sure. That sounds like a great, great idea. So, um, I think if you asked most people what form of government we have in the United States, they would probably say democracy, democracy. right? And then if you yes. press them a little further, they would probably say representative democracy. Which Ooh, is which is true. Um, we have a representative democracy. That's how we elect our leaders. But the system of government that we have is different than um, how we elect our leaders. We have a federalist system that yep. is uh, filled with elected positions, elected by the people, by district, um, by voting district, which is... A funny concept to me in the day and age now where we have the ability to tie people's um, individual votes to their home because there's now this like gerrymandering issue where people on the right and the left will get into the zoning offices and change the zones so that a particular party will win a particular district even though like 49% of the votes in that district would be for the other party. Right. Breaking it down into simple majorities versus just counting up all the votes is how it's always been done. For one reason or another, I'll let 
I'll let our people who listen guess at why. But you elect a person who will go and vote on your behalf on the issues that actually get made or into laws, executed, or reviewed. And federalism is a special system. Do you know the definition of federalism, Pop? The, the actual official definition of them? Or of it, can I you would just say, describe it? Yeah, so it's a system of government where you have power divided across multiple different entities, if you will. So it could be local, state, or national. And it allows each of those dis- different entities to, to act independently and make their own decisions as part of uh, the system. Absolutely. That's a, a perfect description of federalism. And... Um, the thing that is interesting to know is that most of the issue with founding a United States government was the fact that the states were made up of people who, the 13 colonies at the time, were made up of people who had specifically left England because they were uncomfortable with the central mode of power that existed there and in most of Europe. Uh, And so they came to a place where things were a little bit less regulated, um, a little bit more libertarian. And then there ended up being appointed governors and those governors had territories and those territories became colonies. And then we rebelled against the English crown by a miracle we won and then we had to decide okay well now that we've won this land how are we going to organize it there's a big push to leave it in the predefined state organization and just have all of these states but not have them be united the disjointed states of america could be an alternate timeline feels like that right now yes uh and I think that is part of the sting of federalism, Dad, but we'll get into that. Uh, (laughs) And so they tried this where it was mostly just a um, legislature of state opinions and there was no leader under the Articles of Confederation. There was no federal government. And it... They claim it didn't work. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I wasn't alive then. Um... And so they came back to the drawing board, and there were a couple big names who called themselves the Federalists who were in favor of having a more unified national government while also trying to balance the preservation of states' rights, which is um, an interesting concept that the state... I think it's because, again, there was much slower information transportation, right? We had the Pony Express delivering our mail between places. So saying that a state like, for example, New Hampshire and then California would have the same amount of say over a matter was an issue that the Federalists had to answer for Um, because obviously there's a lot more people who would end up living in California. It's a much larger area. And how do you say um, that one state, just because it's an arbitrary boundary, has more or less say than another one, or that they should have the same say, even though they have different populations? Wyoming has 480,000 people, and Texas has, you know, like what, uh, 
15, 20 million, 30 million. I don't even know how many they have at this point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, And so they devised this very, very complicated system in the Constitution. And that formed the national government. And then everything that wasn't included in the Constitution was left up to state governments. And whatever wasn't in state constitutions was left up to local governments. And whatever wasn't up to local governments was left to the individual. So even in this system where we're not designed, was not designed to give central authority to one figure like in a kingdom, um, the amount of people who have a say on your freedoms in federalism ends up being massive because you have three different levels of government that can kind of restrict your actions in, in a way. Um, and so I think the point of federalism, and this is just my opinion, is that it was built specifically to be inefficient because you would have factions of people fighting against each other and you needed majority this, majority that, super majority this, super majority that to pass laws, to enact them. And then a separate guy who has his own separate election has is tasked with enforcing them. And then there's this judicial system, which has appointments instead of elections, which performs judicial review on laws to determine whether or not they're explicitly granted that power in the Constitution. And all of this is designed to prevent laws from being made in the first place. Um, and I think that that is and and only the most important laws that more people can agree with than not would get passed and right. i think that that is what has worked all too well where the government is completely at this point inefficient and because it's so vast and has so many different levels there's a lot of places for corruption to leak in. And I don't just mean people with bad intentions. I mean people who with no intentions at all. Um, and I think that the system, it frustrates a lot of people because they don't understand who has um, the power, whether they do, whether their local government do, whether the state government does, or whether the federal government does. Uh, and I guess I just think that understanding that that's how it's laid out is a good way to do it is a good way no that's a jumping off point i i agree with you and i think that giving that background uh is helpful uh for people who uh don't fully understand it um this is a huge topic and so i'm sure we're not gonna be able to get as deep as as we could but uh i'm i'm looking forward to the discussion so do you know how many articles are were in the original constitution articles are headings where they discuss different things. Well, I mean, so... There's a preamble. That does not count as an article. Sure. So articles uh, in the Constitution, well, there's the Bill of Rights, which is 10, but that's separate from articles. So I would say there were, I don't know, four. That is close, but um, not quite. There's seven, but I would say that the first four, or maybe the first five are probably the most important. Sure. Do you know what the first article of the Constitution is? 
So no, I I don't not not off the top of my head. See, Thank this is great. This is why we're yeah. this is why we're doing it, right? Because I, I, uh, I guess yeah, to expose my lack of knowledge on the the articles of the of the Constitution. Yes, I mean everybody as they get older, the the further they are from their schooling. So yes. I mean, what better than a refresher course? They make uh, yes. people above fifty five take a driving course in Arizona be good if people could vote knew how their vote counted because i think a lot of people are upset about how their votes don't always seem to make an impact and yet they don't even know how they're supposed to make an impact so well i know our votes are counted i just don't necessarily know the various different articles now i will tell you that uh you have a friend i have a friend of mine that you know paul uh and he if he were listening to this i'm sure he he would be cringing like what how do you not know that stuff um but it is what it is it's okay. Uh, Article 1 sets up the legislative branch. Article 2 sets up the executive branch. And Article 3 sets up the judiciary branch. And then Article 4 um, talks about how to deal with states. It's kind of like a whole hodgepodge of things in Article 4. They've sure. got um, some clauses in there about um, what power states have versus gov- uh, the federal government should have. And then outline uh, Article Five outlines the process for making the amendments, and um, so that uh-huh. would involve our rights and the things that they can change. Uh, and then Article Six is just a notification that if they ratified the Constitution, that it would be the supreme law of the land, and that any state that didn't have to follow or that didn't follow it above its own constitution would be in violation of it. They'd have to formally secede in order to not obey it or whatever. Um, And then Article 7 was just like how they were planning to ratify it. So that's not really anything. Sure, sure. Uh, And then each state went on to ratify it. And then they all started making their own state constitutions uh, which allowed them to make laws that could be superseded by the federal government at any time, although they didn't know it when the government was first established, because when the government was first established, the purpose of the judiciary was not outlined uh, ex- exactly in the Constitution as it was later interpreted. So there's this famous case, Marbury versus Madison, where... Yes. Uh, the judiciary gave the Supreme Court gave itself the power of judicial review, uh, which was their ability that they've now used extensively uh, to look at any law that is passed or any action that is taken by a government, and um, and they can determine whether or not it's constitutional, and if it's not, they can strike it down. And then the government is not allowed to, the executive branch is not allowed to enforce that law. And that happens at the state level, the local level, and the federal level. Because if the federal government can't do it, then it would follow that a state can't do it and that a locality can't do it. Uh, And so oftentimes, if you disagree with a law at the local, state, or federal level, you have to sue the government at the level that they instituted the law and then follow it all the way up to the Supreme Court, hope that they'll choose to listen to it and either keep it or strike it down, depending on whether or not they feel it is um, constitutionally acceptable. 
So that's that. That is a, uh, you talked about this at the beginning. It, it, it's complex. And like you said, it's not necessarily efficient for that, that process to occur. Because as you also just mentioned, just because you want to bring a case to the Supreme Court does not mean it's going to get heard by them. Right. They have a, a huge list of cases that people um, want to bring to them, and they only select certain certain ones. And here is the argument that I wanted to make with federalism that I think one thing that didn't necessarily get fully thought out was that aspect of appeals where laws can be instituted at the local level quite easily, you know, by simple city council votes, and they stand until they can be struck down, um, and they can be struck down by district judges, circuit judges, appellate judges, or whatever. Um, but there's this whole rigmarole process that you get to that's kind of like whack-a-mole where you can't control what every aspect of the government is doing to the people. And so I feel like in a way we often are being pushed in a direction by things that are put into effect uh, and don't have the immediate ability to uh, share our opinion as voters and uh, as active participants in our government. And the whole point right. of it, of the system, was to make it so that it was very easy to have a say in your government. And I feel like our system has uh, done better than a lot of other countries, but still failed us in some regard where um, there's just so many different people trying to take the reins that it can be uh, difficult to get a hold of them yourself. Absolutely. So what do you think the 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 best part of our government system is relative to other ones dad i guess i just your personal opinion so my personal opinion actually ties back to the point you were just making uh even though uh as you outlined it it seems like we don't necessarily have a say in in what's in what's being happening uh at various different levels you actually, as a citizen, have the ability in this type of government to push yourself into a certain spot to have that say. So whether that's a lobby, a lobbyist type of a role and going in front of Congress and bringing up your, your case, or if it's getting involved at the local level, maybe be becoming a member of your city council or your state or a legislature or the executive branch there, uh, you have that ability to do that here in the United States. Uh, whereas if you're talking about a, a place that would be, uh, let's just say a monarchy, for example, whatever the monarch says goes, right? That's it. You know, they have other people who are enforcing it, but you, you can say all you want and say, well, I don't agree with what the king or queen is saying, but you really don't have the option to change it. That's just not how right. a monarchy works. In this circumstance, even though I, I can say I may or may not agree with something that's happening, I can't just snap my fingers and change it. I have the ability to go and gather other folks that are of like minds and try to make some changes through the system of government that we have in place. How do you so think that um, the, the United States would be different if we still had the federal government as it stands with a legislature, a judiciary, and an executive branch, but they had complete control over the entire land mass versus doing it by state. So it wouldn't be a federalist system. It would be 
I mean, it would still have a bicameral legislature, so it would be some form of federalism, but there wouldn't be different statehood levels or local levels. I mean, I guess there would have to be local levels, but maybe just not states. How do you think so, that would be different? Would we still be around today? Would it be no. more effective, less effective? I, I don't think we would be around today. I think what you would end up getting into is what a lot of people are talking about they want now is majority rule. And while that seems like a great idea on its surface, when you start digging into that, um, we as, as people change our minds on things very quickly. Uh, and sometimes the, the changes and the things that we think we're making changes to are not wise. Um, and if we're just doing majority rules, okay, uh, the whole country votes on this. And, you know, the 50.1% of people who vote for this, this is what we get, then you're, that's really not as good as people think it might be. Uh, because you have a whole nother 49% of the people who don't agree with that. And just because you win does not mean that those 49% of the people are going to say, well, that's it, fine, I don't, I don't agree with it, I'm just going to live with it. Having separate states, you can move to a different state. So if I don't like what the state I'm living in right now, how they're that, their local and state government is working, I can move to a different state and have a different feeling, have a different uh, approach to, to, to life. Um, whereas if it's just every single state is doing exactly the same thing, I basically, I, I'm, I you don't have that leave option. The country. Okay. You go to another yeah, sure. country that agrees I, I, with I your could, values. I, I could do that. Yes. In theory I could, but then I'm dealing with a whole bunch of other things that, that may or may not be applicable uh, or agreeable to me. So I, I think we would have, I think we would have uh, crushed ourselves had we gone down that path. How about yourself, Jordan? I'm curious to see what you think. Yeah, so um, I really, I, it, it's hard for me to criticize the way that it's worked out um, because obviously I've lived a very good life and most people I know have lived a very good life. And a lot of that is due to the freedoms that are afforded in my my right to vote and my right to uh, to speak and express my opinions and to work at whatever job I choose. Uh, so I do think that the system's intentional inefficiency has helped protect me from any government overreach. But I also have a, a real hard time where I feel like um, the bureaucracy aspect of the executive branch has expanded a lot in the last 250 years where um, tax dollars are levied in order to do some things that are good, some things that are bad, and nobody's really accounting any of that, um, you know, externally. Uh, so I think that that's tough. Not, not that taxes are too high. That's not my complaint. It's just that a lot of um, blank check kind of authority is given to the Santa Monica City Council to say and do whatever they want, or a branch of the Santa Monica City Council that you know decides how the boardwalk should look or act or who can rent where and these, that, and the other thing. Uh, and I think that having a federalist system makes it very much more difficult to root out any potential corruptions that you have because over time there's corruption at every level and it makes the government very heavy overall in tax dollars but also in who's allowed to have their say it makes it even more inefficient over time 
Uh, and then a- as to the the voting matter, I agree with your sentiment that a tyranny of the majority is a very dangerous thing, and I think the Federalists outlined that when they were trying to convince states to ratify it, um, the Constitution, I mean. But since you know the Industrial Revolution, at least, mostly every election has been you know a two-party election and yep. it uh, many of those contests like there's some exceptions ronald reagan um where where it wasn't decided by a couple margin points who would be the next president of the united states i think if you looked at the data for the senate and house of representatives i'm speaking out of my ass but i would bet you'd find the same thing where it's uh, very close to a 50-50 split. Um, and so I question whether or not in that aspect our federalism works at all because it does seem like it all kind of flows upward. Your your vote only counts within a district. Your district turns one of two colors and then they piece those together to your state turns one of two colors and then however many states are turn, you know, one color, that color and the portion of votes that they receive, then the whole country turns one of two colors. Um, so, so yes, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but from my perspective, that leads me to another topic that we should not get into on this one, but is a different topic, and that's the whole Electoral College. Because what you're talking about is really kind of how the Electoral College, at, at a high level, that's what you're talking yeah. through. And, and that I, w- I have totally different thoughts on. And I, like I said, that's a totally different topic. So maybe next time or a few times down the road, we'll get into the electoral college and whether that is a good thing or a bad thing currently. But, um, so I I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, I just, I agree that the sentiment of a tyranny of a majority is bad, but I do often question whether or not our system prevents that at all or whether or not, um, it still exists just on multiple different levels. Because I would say that laws are pretty homogenous across states, you know, certainly criminal laws, and that makes sense why they they should be the same. Um, you know, notable exceptions being like marijuana decriminalization and enforcement, I think varies yep. a lot by state. But for the most part, I would say the states are pretty similar in the way that they rule on a lot of issues except for the hot button ones so i agree with you there i do think that there's a, a, a you know a lot of the states are similar across various different things obviously taxes are also a big thing what sure. states choose to do from a local tax perspective but there's two examples that that i would provide and these aren't necessarily super recent examples but they are within the last 50 years so they're recent enough i think that that they're still relevant so having separate states make separate decisions allows each state to, I, I guess I'll call it experiment with various different things to see if it will work. And if it does work, then the rest of the states can adopt it. If it doesn't work, they can just poo-poo it. So two examples, one of, and, and one of which is, comes from a state that you and I both lived in, Wisconsin. So welfare and the welfare reform and the welfare system and how it changed and, 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 and grew started from regulation that happened in Wisconsin. 
And people started to look at what they were doing in Wisconsin as it relates to welfare and said, whoa, wait a second here. This is different than what we were doing before. Maybe this is a system that we should start pattern, patterning ourselves after. Now, if we as a whole country were looking at, at things and trying to solve the changes to the welfare system, I don't think we would have been able to do it because it's just too unwieldy to try and you know look at 300 million people and try and figure out how that's going to work. But when you get that to the local level and the state level, wealth, welfare allows you uh, excuse me, uh, the local stuff allows you to look at something like welfare and make changes and test them at a, at a local county uh, you know, level and then a state level. So that's one example. The other example, and this is, I think, still very, very relevant, uh, is uh, the environmental protection stuff and EPA laws that took place and started in California, right? Um, because of the things that they started to enact in California around EPA, we started to see various different other states interact and, and enact those things. I will tell you, you know, growing up in, as a kid of the 70s and the 80s, uh, while I was outside and still enjoy being outdoors, the environment was on the top of nobody's minds outside of places like Hawaii and California, maybe Oregon, uh, Washington State. You know, those were quote unquote tree huggers. People didn't care about the tree huggers. In, in the Midwest, we cared about our, our big trucks. Burning uh, you know, trash our, in your exactly, in the, in exactly. the pan out at the cross the street. That's my favorite exactly. photos of your home when you were a kid. The trash exactly. pits. <laughs> the scene out of Rocky. You just need a doo-wop group. Yeah. So, so again, that started that wave, right? Where, where California And, and like, your well, argument would be that it wouldn't have gotten done if legislation only happened at a national level because a majority of yes. people were not interested we're, in it. Correct. But people yes. were inspired by a smaller group yes. of people instituting it. Bingo. Bingo. See, I, I, that makes sense. And maybe that's true. But when I hear that, I just think, yes, wouldn't it have been better if the EPA instituted those? And again, I, I'm sounding very pro-federal <laughs> government and unilateral decision-making, but I don't, I don't necessarily mean to come off that way. Uh, but wouldn't it have been better if the whole government was just like, yes, please stop polluting the rivers, please stop cutting down trees um, that you know absorb our carbon emissions, this, that, and the other thing, and just instituted it nationwide like yes. Nixon did in 1972 or whatever? Like, wasn't that a breakthrough, like, big thing that the federal government did establishing the EPA? It was huge. The challenge, though, is that there, people were not happy with that. I mean, the, the, the folks from, from, you know, the West Coast were super happy about it, but the Midwesterners, especially when you start thinking about, you know, what the EPA regulations were, right? It was, it was about emissions for cars, emissions for factories, things like that. Uh, what was it? What was occurring in the '70s? You know, let's take the gas prices out of it. But what was occurring in the '70s in Michigan? They were manufacturing cars, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what was occurring in the in the '70s and the '80s in in Ohio? Same type of thing. It wasn't only just car manufacturing, but there was steel manufacturing that occurred in Pennsylvania, things like that. So those people were not happy because they wanted to be able to to uh, do what they were doing without the government getting involved. And so while they well, it proved out that that the changes that California was enacting and the things that Nixon did in '72 uh, that weren't Watergate related were exactly the right approach. But they wouldn't have it, happened if it was just based off no. of a, a no, uh, national because again, democratic vote. 
Yes. Right, because because majority rule. If we if we just look even the representatives, you know, so let's just take the Congress and the Senate. Right. The people from Pennsylvania, uh, the people from from Michigan, the people from Ohio, the people from you know the Midwest Rust Belt stuff, they never would have voted for that. And while there's plenty of representatives from California, there certainly wasn't going to be enough to overrun all of the rest of the country. Right. That's another interesting thing about our form of government is our bicameral legislature where we had to balance this, again, this concept of states' rights versus people's rights where um, it was understood and, and still is because it's written into our law that due to these artificial boundaries that we put around regions and call states, that just because something is a state, they should have a certain amount of say. So we have the House of Representatives, which is a demonstrative of population, right? So people in California have more representatives than people in New Hampshire. But then you have the Senate, where New Hampshire and California both have equal amount of say because they both have only two senators. And I think that that is an interesting approach because bills have to make it through both the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate to get executed into law. Uh, and I'm wondering, do you are you do you like that? Do you like the concept that there is a f part of the legislature that is um, solely based on the fact that something is a state? Do you think that we could be more or less effective if we just had a population-based model like the House of Representatives? Um, or do you think that this that the concept of statehood is important on its own? Um, you know, what what are your thoughts on that? So I think it's important for states to to be recognized on their own. I think that it's also important to have both a population based and a just and then a Senate style based where each each state has equal representation. Uh, we'll talk further about that when we get to the, uh, the electoral college and kind of the, the deep roots of that. But I think it's important for, again, the whole, uh, majority rule type situation, at least, the, you know, from, from a Senate perspective, everyone's represented equally and allows each state to have, you know, feel like they're being fully represented. But then you've got the, the, uh, the, the Congress, uh, the house of representatives, where the majority, the people who have the high populace locations in the majority, actually get to have their say. So, so it's it, it, in theory the best of both worlds. So, and that you have, uh, yeah, that's a good answer. My question is: suppose there was a drunk cartographer, right, and he's drawing out the maps, and this is the official. As soon as he writes it, it's canon. This is how the maps are going to be drawn. Right. So uh, he picks a, a longitude for the edge of California that goes along this mountain range, but he accidentally writes down the wrong number. So now it's four times as large as it was, and it encompasses the entire Southwest. Okay. Everything else remains the same, except there's maybe there's 46 states instead of 50. All right. And California is much larger. It's got the people in Arizona in it, it's got the people in New Mexico in it because this cartographer made a mistake. Let's say that's what, 90 million people? New yeah, Hampshire probably. would have two votes in the Senate with, yep. um, you know, 700,000 people. And 
California, mega California, would have two votes in the Senate just because a cartographer made a mistake. I guess that's a system that confuses me. Yeah, but on the opposite side, though, then they would have how many seats in the House of Representatives where they're able to to take advantage of the their size. True. And, and, I mean, this, but this, I mean, this once came, the this, bill uh, makes it through the House of Representatives, the Senate can still go ah, not nah, screw this, and then right, they can, and then that's then, down to party politics, right? Who had that yeah, simple well, one color yeah. majority at that time? Yep, that's again, that's a totally different discussion. But then also beyond that, then you have the president who has to sign it, who he or she may it's not a different be, color. Yes. Yeah, may not be that same that same thing. So. What you're talking about, Jordan, I think really comes down to, the, to me, the fundamental issue with our system of, of government, and you kind of hinted at this earlier, isn't necessarily the system. It's the fact that we only have two flipping parties that were that have any say in what we're doing. To me, that's the biggest flaw in what we've got. We Back when all of this started, there were, I don't know how many parties, there's six, seven, eight parties, and not all of them were major parties, but they at least had some say. Right now, we literally have two parties. If you're, 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 you know, you can claim to be independent and you can play, claim to be a moderate, but when it comes down to it, um, when you're voting in local elections, you you can vote for your independent person. But most people like it or not, whether they want to admit it or not, when it comes down to it, they're going to either vote for red or blue at on that presidential level. Not everybody's going to do that. Some people are going to say, "Screw it," you know what? Even even if my vote doesn't quote unquote count towards one of these two, I'm going to either write in somebody else or I'm going to vote for a third party. It's not a viable third party. And we've seen examples at the state level for, from a governor perspective where a third party candidate has, has jumped up and done things. And from a national level, we have seen a couple elections where senators. Uh, no, well, no, we've seen a couple of elections uh, from a presidential perspective. John Anderson in 1980 and Ross Perot in the in the 90s. Uh, where they kind of jumped up and and got some votes, but re- realistically, it, we have two parties, and to me, that is the biggest fundamental issue that we've got. So, do you think that with our existing form of government, this federalism, direct, uh, indirect democracy, I guess, representative democracy, that there could uh, exist multiple? parties like could we sustain that or would something have to be changed in the way that our legislature is run um because other systems do try and do it uh where they have multi-party votes uh, yep. in parliament systems that's a big thing yep. but then yep. uh to form a government at all you have to have a majority like a coalition uh, coalition cobbled of the different things so then that's just a majority rule anyway kind of Yep, they're saying we're not even going to do this if we can't have a majority. And here we say the same kind of thing, but it's uh, you're either a red or a blue. Do you think there's a sustained period of time where where we could have, you know, I, I mean, I, I think of like the older elections. Um, There were times where a president won with like 30% of the vote because it was splintered across four parties. But that's like 1700s, early 1800s kind of stuff. Right. Um, And obviously that died out. Is that the nature of the beast? If you try to introduce multiple parties, they're going to gobble up into two because that's the most efficient way to secure the populace? Or, Or is there a utopia where more people can have more opinions and have more input other than just voting on a color? So I'm going to answer this in a weird way. I think that it's both 
both and. I think that the situation is where we're at right now, we need to have a viable third, fourth, fifth party out there. Uh, is it sustainable? No, it is absolutely not sustainable to have it, not in our system. It's, you know, other ones, like you say, where you have a parliament, um, it's probably sustainable, but what we have, I don't think it is long-term sustainable. The reason why I say that we need to have that right now is that we have enough people that are pissed off on both sides and in the middle, right? We have extremists on both sides and you have people in the middle that are pissed off and they're just looking for something that's going to help them get to where they want to be or, or do or represented, have do, Yeah. Yes. Be represented and having a, th- a viable third party, I think will, will make the other two parties go, Holy crap. Uh, these people are really angry and we need to start working together differently or changing the, what our approach is actually, I don't know, talk about things um, and not just hate people. Um, so I think short-term, I think it's, it's frankly for us to survive long-term. I think we need it in the short-term. I don't think it's viable long-term. I, I really don't. Um, I'm, so I'd be curious to see what your thoughts are. The likely scenario you're saying is that enough people will become disgruntled that there would be a party that appears on the scene that picks maybe more moderate viewpoints on specific yep. issues that people yes. will start voting for. And they get a lot of money, fundraising money, because that's how elections are won in the United States. Absolutely. And they can start siphoning off some of the vote large enough. And then once enough people start voting for them, then the government, because the third party kind of has to be more moderate than the two existing parties, the moderate party will eat up one of the two extreme parties. Yep. And then there will be one extreme party and one moderate party that finds itself becoming more and more extreme. And then there's a yep. need for a third party yep. to capture the moderates again. So that just seems like it would be uh, when the time comes, it will naturally occur kind of thing. Do you think that that will happen? Or do you think that there's no. too much corruption uh, to prevent I- the organizing of people in that way? You mentioned gerrymandering uh, uh, yeah. earlier on. That right now is the reason why I don't see this happening. Uh, right now, you have a situation, and both parties do it. It's not one party no, does I, this. I'm not singling does. out anybody. Right. It, no, it's terrible if you look it's, at the it's district horrible. maps. It, the, yeah, the way it's set up right now is that if you, if most of the districts that are the way they're set up. If you if you're a red district or a blue district, you're going to continue to be that way for a very long time, unless for whatever reason, uh, some people from the other uh, party happen to move into that space. And somehow that's when they get redistricted. That's when the gerrymandering happens because a senator's about to lose their seat. So they find a way to appoint somebody to the zoning board and issue, you know, a redistricting or whoever's in power when that happens every 10 years, then they get, an enormous amount of input, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So <sighs> I, we're not going to solve the problem. Uh, you know, but yes, yeah, so, so that's, that'd be my next question. What, what's your outlook on, um, th- this federalist state that we've created? Do you see a way for us to kind of amend our issues? I think one of our big issues is things that get put in place that we do regret later on, it seems also impossible to put an end to, you know, once you start something, I think that's a cliche, but once you start something with the government, you never finish it or whatever. I, 
No, I, I think you're totally right. And we're I think there's there's tons of examples of that. Right. And we we're not gonna get into them, but no, uh, no. That whole concept where you see your government not working, but you have to support it while it continues to not work and nothing seems to be changing in order to fix it is very frustrating for people. So how Absolutely. long do you think that that goes on? Um, are we? Are you, are are you we asking in... me how long the United States is going to last? Is that what you're asking? Well, it's possible that the United States uh, could last after some kind of change is made. Um, but do you believe a change can be made? Do you believe a change will be made? Do you, you know, what? So, so can it be made? Yes. Will it be made? Yes. How soon? In our lifetimes? No. Maybe in yours. For cer- certainly not mine. Okay. No chance in mine. Um, Do you yours, think it's more likely that we remain a union and solve our issues or that um, the entire continent gets redistricted in, into a different government, gerrymandered into different governments? A, a new world order. Um, so I think we remain a sovereign nation. That's my prediction. Okay. I think we remain a sovereign nation. I this think whole that... landmass will, or will it? Do you see like, I in my in head I can see like seceding? regional, not even states, but I could see it turning into a more of a regional thing. I don't um, know how that I... would happen. It would involve a lot of bloodshed or a leader who yeah. really doesn't know how to manage things. Um, and I don't. That would. I don't know if it would happen in my lifetime, but I could see it happening. That would absolutely be a violent and not a peaceful situation. There's no way that it becomes regional without there being bloodshed. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, I agree. Uh, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Do you think it's more likely that governments break down or that we continue this globalization trend and that one day there will be one government to rule every every human on Earth? One ring to rule them all. Yes. Um, uh, I hope that doesn't happen uh, because that gets to the whole discussion of what we're having right now, right? It, Where you know, can you go? You can go to Mars. You could move to Mars. Yeah, potentially. Uh, but, so, so that sca- that scares me because each country's got its own uh, things, own goals and needs and wants and desires, and each populace of that country does. Um, I but having maybe, one but cover, maybe those. So again. Uh, just to play devil's advocate, I, I do not, I will say, I do not want a global government. I'm afraid of the government at all, even though I'm not really a libertarian. But do people, do countries' needs and how they're different only exist because they have their own governances? Like, if they're what, like, yes, we would lose a lot of culture, but is my point is are people really that unique across areas or is it just that way because we've kept ourselves divided by area like that's my state's rights question like it's just a it's just the work of somebody who drew a map right it's like oh here's this river like now th- this side of the river is france and this side of the river is germany and this guy in the 40s disagreed which side of the river was germany and which side of the river was france right so like what, like a, a lot of it seems arbitrary and based off of cartography, not based off of any actual need, different needs that exist to me, I guess on a local level, 
there there's some truth to it about like hey like we have a homeless population in LA that needs to be addressed the national government can't really get in there and take care of that but there's a lot of things that we seem to value differently as nations only because we're, we're separate nations i don't know so am I making any sense there you you are jordan and and that's a very hard question to answer because you know if i say yeah, we're, we're different enough that we need to be separate. You, the, your next question is, okay, how? How is someone who lives in Argentina so very different? Yes. Yeah, you know, you know there's, other than culture, uh, it's it's tough to put your finger on it. And, and so I would agree culture exists, but why does culture exist then? Does it have to do with blood? Does it have to do with lines? Does it, I mean, what does it have to, why is culture different, you know? So someone's, language right and i know that that's that doesn't seem like culture but that some of that but but to, to get to take a step back you one of the things you said is how are our needs so very different and so let's let's understand what our needs are right we all need to eat we all need to be able to uh, be productive so whether that means you have a job and make money or you or or something like that and then we all need to be able to have a place to live right and those are really the basic needs that every single person needs to have regardless of whether you live in in uh, africa you live in Siberia or you live in, in, uh, in, you know, if we could all eat and had a place to live, do you think we would still have a need to be productive? Um, I, I, (laughs) wow. Are we still talking about federalism? Uh, Well, I just, I just thought that you, you listed three things that every human needs to eat, to have shelter and to be productive. So I'm just Yes, I do think so. Yes, I do think so. Okay. I, because I, I, I think that it's our innate nature for us to, to do something, to, to, to not just... Right, to it, search for food. But if we all had food and shelter... No, I think it's more than that. I think it's more than just search for food. I think, it, I mean, that, that's how and why, um, you know, other things grew up and existed. You know, let's, I mean, we don't need to dive around the, no, the sports let, angle. No, let's dive or, or, everywhere. Or, 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 we okay. we so, can get to all of this right now. This is our okay, podcast. So, 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 you know, sports is an example of what came out of the education is an example of what came out, came out of being productive, of being idle, uh, of having r- food. R- That's my r- point. We all had r- food and shelter. And so we were like, well, what are we going to do with all that time? Play football, I guess. Or, or, or learn how to do other things or discover various different things. Sciences, all of that. Yes. Yeah, so we, so the need to be productive absolutely is a need, but isn't is that just a byproduct of having food and shelter? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Cause so I, I feel I, like I, if somebody, let's say you're in a developing nation and your main priority is to make sure that you have enough to eat and that your children have enough to eat, then that's what you're spending your 20 hours doing. But yep. if you already have food and already have a home, then you have a lot more time to throw the old pigskin around. And that's why, <laughs> that's why you do it, you know? Like, that's why that game is invented, because how are you going to fill your time when you're so rich like we are in America? Sure. Okay. So I will agree with that it can be a byproduct of, of things. But I do think that we just – there's there's something inside of us as humans that we – need to discover and we need to find and we need to do um even if we're even if you're you're not um uh you know you know fully furnishers everything i still think that there's that that curiosity that natural curiosity that we have which i would i guess would term productivity as well okay um but so then back to the other question 
how are we culturally different from one another? Um, so I'm uh, you're not tasked I, with answering it, but it's a, it's a, a tough question. Um, it is. That is a very tough question. You know, I I think a lot of the the barriers of communication have changed with the introduction of high speed internet, where we can send information to each other and receive feedback at any moment. And data doesn't talk the way that being on the ground interacting with individuals does. And so that that's an issue we even have in America where my senator Absolutely. is very, very far from my apartment right now. Not just in yep. distance, um, but in how they under understand and perceive the world. Even if I vote for them, they don't really know what my life is like just because I voted for them, right? Right, exactly. Um, but that's what I see the purpose of states and and countries were, was to have, okay, beyond this point, it's too far to make the effort. And it doesn't make sense to try and organize larger than this. Um, and I feel like that is just a natural barrier that we've all become comfortable with, but doesn't really have much hold in a society where we all can get feedback of what's going on in China or Japan today. You know, do you see any, yeah. is it only downsides or is there any potential benefit to a globalized government? Is there anything that you can think of that would be better? Uh, this is going to sound really negative. No, but that's just because off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that I would term positive. My guess is that if you could come up with an example, I would either potentially agree with it or disagree with it. But off the top of my head, I literally can't think of anything from a global perspective that would be a positive. So I haven't pondered the question before, but off the top of my head, I would think about how foreign policy wouldn't be something that you had to spend a lot of your focus on um, when you're picking your leaders. Uh, you wouldn't have to spend as much on defense, hopefully. Um, and if tax rates were kept consistent, you could actually use that uh, to to give back to the citizens who are paying into them. Um, whether or not any of that would happen, no. But we're talking about idealized government systems today, right? So if we're talking about the ideal form of federalism, that's not what we have now, and we don't have the we wouldn't have the ideal global economy, but just right. apples to oranges comparing ideal federalism to an ideal globalist dictatorship. No, it would be a democracy, not a dictatorship. Um, Maybe. Ideally, it would be a democracy. Um, Representative democracy or a true democracy? Well, I'm saying my point would be if there's enough let's just say there's no issues. And again, that, that can't exist. Um, and where's this happening? Right. It can't exist, but there's a lot of issues with our current government, right? So it's not a perfect system. Yes. Okay. Yes. We can all agree on that. If we can all vote and you could verify those votes with 100% certainty, there's no kind of, you know, voter fraud. People are very afraid of voter fraud these days. Um, if you could guarantee none of that could happen, then a, a direct democracy where people, everybody has access to the internet and votes. This is the utopia. Then I, I think that a di direct democracy would only do majority rule. Um, anyway, right? 
it, yes. I which mean, how scares else me. would you? I don't know how you would do it. it. I don't know. That's what that's what scares me. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, so, so just one last thing, comment on this. One of the things that when I was in my civics classes and things of that nature, when I was in high school, one of the things we did was exactly what we're talking about here is, okay, design your ultimate form of government and, and pretend that, that this was a utopian style thing. And we had to have discussion around why this would work or wouldn't work and uh, what was the, the best approach. And almost everyone came up with the idea that, yeah, we should just have one world government. And our teacher, who I respected immensely, he hated that idea for so many different reasons. Um, and one of which was, you know, what I brought up before, you have 50.1% of the people who are saying what everybody else has to do. And that just breeds contempt and breeds a lot of, of uh, divisiveness uh, throughout uh, the situation. And so I, while I think, it, you know, people have this idea that, yeah, this would be perfect. They don't really realize that what if you're the one who's in the 49% and you're not getting anything you want? That, that doesn't feel good. How about a globalist pseudo, just your opinion, like a pseudo libertarianism where the government only exists to ensure that um, if there's, to provide the fear of punishment if a crime is committed and then everything else is left up to the individual. So you can you can enforce crime, but everything else you're uh, required to provide for yourself. Uh, do you think that people would be happy or unhappy in that system? I think that if people heard about it, they would be a majority of people would think this is the greatest thing ever. And then they'd get into it and then not like it. And they would be angry. Yes. Because, because suddenly people are reliant suddenly, on the government providing for them. Yes, that is part of it. But the other, to be honest with you, I think some of it is where we're at in society right now. If it, okay, if we, let's, let's just wipe the slate clean saying, okay, that's it. Here's what we're going to do. The government's going to provide um, the basic necessities of law enforcement and, um, you know, changes to laws that, that are good for the society. Everything else you're responsible for yourself. How many people do you know that would be able to, plant and grow their own food um, or go, Hey, you know, your, your friends and I and stuff, boy, we like chickens and steak and Turkey and, yeah. and fish. Uh, my guess is there's gonna be a lot of people starving um, because they don't know what, how to do any of that crap. So uh, and, my question there is how would it be different? The government does not like there are farm subsidies but a lot of people would argue to get rid of those too. Now, um, the government is not who plants our crops and gives us our food. No. That's all done by private corporations. So those could exist. No. Yep, they they could. However, if we're wiping everything clean and having to start from from scratch, um, I I think things that one of the arguments that that people have with the way the United States works right now is there's the uh, you know the wealth gap, right? That's only going to get worse, only going to get worse in the system that we're talking about here. And even though it's utopian, in theory, the utopian system, it's only going to get worse because the people who have the ability to to be the creators um, are going to continue to be rich and richer. And the people who don't have 
for whatever reason, they were blessed with a different talent. So, they, so they're not able to, to, to do that kind of stuff. Um, they're going to be scrambling and scratching for, for things. Okay. Um, so you think government is a good tool to address the wealth no, gap? Okay. No, no, okay. I don't. Just wanted, I, I don't. Just wanted to get no, you on that. No, 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 no. I do not. I'm just saying it, if you think there's a wealth gap now, it's only going to get worse if In everything is a fully capitalist system? Uh, yes, at flat out. Yes. And I am, I it will defend capitalism, um, you know, to my dying breath, but, but if you it's see your a capital- benefit in injecting some socialism, like we have in America. Oh, let's not use the word socialism. I think that there it's, uh, well, I that's, think that that's what, a, that's what we've done. I think there's some benefit to having the government play a, a role in things. limiting I, the free market. Uh, not having pure capitalism. Right. So, but you should be able to say those terms without being afraid of how they're going to be taken. Cause like, um, I'm not saying we have socialized healthcare here in America. We don't, we have a, a private system, but we have a public option in a lot of places, um, to help people who can't qualify for this or that. That's an example of socialization that people are afraid of. Um, but they did it to address, you know, maybe a wealth gap kind of scenario. So I don't know. And we, again, won't get into this today so much, but um, are we saying that that's highly efficient and works really well? Yes, uh, I get your point. But then, you know, what does a lack of regulation do? That goes back to your other point. It, uh, yes. it leaves people in the dust. So the happy yes. balance is good is what you're saying. Yes, there there is there is a need for certain types of and styles of regulation. The problem that we get into, to be honest with you, is we have that corruption aspect of things. In that you're elected, Jordan, to represent me and the and the people who live in in our district, and you go with the best of intentions, but then for whatever reason, there's corruption that occurs, and you realize that really it's really about Jordan's intentions. Mm-hmm. Or Jordan's family's intentions, or you know Jordan's int- intentions, along with oh these other five people, and and it ends up there's that corruption that that gets involved. So, you know, I don't know that that our government has ever. I will tell you from day one has never worked as I think the for, the founding fathers thought it was going to work. But um, uh, to me, it's it's better it's than well enough. The, yeah, it's better. Yeah, I mean, so I'm 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 gonna, I'm gonna butcher this quote. Uh, was it Winston Churchill who said something like, "Capitalism is the worst form of, of you know, economics, but it's better than everything else." Same thing I would say with federalism with you know, and federalism. It's 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 the worst form of government, but it's better than everything else. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's tough. I mean, we're not experts on any of this stuff, so we stepped over the boundaries of, you know, poli sci many times, I'm sure, in our conversation. But we did. I don't really care. Uh, because this is these are the conversations people should have without fear. I agree. Uh I and agree. um yeah, I don't know. I, I one problem I feel with federalism is that it is designed to become more less and less effective over time. And and more corruption can seep in the longer that it exists. And I think we've no, seen that happen. And there's no real way to clean it up uh, written into our current constitution. Uh, Agreed. 
So I don't know how that is going to end, but I'm waiting. Not with, well. Waiting with bated breath. So that's anyway. why I'm saying somehow we need to get a third party somewhere. Thanks for talking with me about that, Dad. I'm glad this was not a political conversation and more just an analysis conversation. I enjoyed yep. that a lot. That's my preference as well. All right. Okay, this week in media, uh, I'm just going to do a quick shout out instead of talking about something. Uh, I discovered the song Follow You, Follow Me by Genesis uh, <laughs> for the first time, even though I'm like uh, kind of a, a little bit of a Genesis fan, not a huge one, but I like a couple of their later albums, but this was obviously like their kind of breakout hit. And it yeah. is a smashing song. Everybody should go listen to Follow You, Follow Me by Genesis. Do you uh, want to state which album that is on? I don't remember or do you what not album care? it's on. That's okay. It's what okay. album is it on? I don't off the top of my head either. That's why I was wondering if you knew. I didn't. I, I can pull it up. The, it's it's the last song I played on my Spotify. I, I don't think it's the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. No, I don't, I don't think it is. Because that's a whole musical thing. And then there were three. And then there were three. Okay. From 1978. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is from 1974. Yes. And I would not recommend that album. Some people love it. I'm not a fan. I'm sure they do. I am not a fan either. All right. What did you have this week in Media Pop? So I'm going to make mine quick as well. I watched Ozark Season 4 Part 2, which is the last. A good example of corruption in government. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It kind of fit in with our discussion here. Uh, I'm going to give you the scale of 1 to 5. I'm going to give it a a 1.5 stars. There were some good good aspects. Ruth uh, uh, was phenomenal as a character. Julia Garner was awesome. Yeah. I really felt like the the showrunners ran out of storyline. Um, the only thing I liked better than this, and this is something that you mentioned, is that uh, better than the first half was that it actually had a better pacing to it than the first half. The first half was really kind of Just dragged slow. on. They could have made that two yeah. episodes instead of seven. Uh, yep. How about, so you gave it a one and a half as a... As its own thing. Uh, How about the series overall? Where would you put it? Just on a scale of one to five right now. Three, three and a half. Okay. I think that I would also put it at about a three. It it started off strong, got a little stronger, and then really fell off, in my opinion. Yep. Agreed. Absolutely agree. All right. So check out Ozark if you want to watch a mid-show. Okay, something I learned this week. Um, there are more statues of lions in the world than there are lions in the world. There's t- 20,000 lions in the wild, and there's 10,000 lions in London alone. 10,000 lion statues? Yes. Sorry, yes. Lion oh statues in London alone. Wow. And That's if you can crazy. think about any place you've been in America, obviously there's famous lions like uh, outside of the New York Public Library, but there's also just lion heads and lion statues all over. I remember walking past a house in Milwaukee, uh, one of the rich yes. old houses that had like 15 lions carved into the side of it. So yes, there are yes. way more lion statues than lions that exist. Wow. That's that's amazing. So I honestly, it's if you thinker, would have asked right? me... It is because if you'd have asked me how many lions existed in the world, 
I would not have guessed 20,000. I would have guessed a lot higher number than like 100,000, 200,000. If there's only 20,000 lions, that's that's sad. Yeah, so I don't know if that is uh, due to urbanization, hunting, or if that's just like a natural like rate based off of the amount of habitat that they have. Let's look up how many... Let's just look up black bears, number of black bears in the world. Yeah, you looked it up, and I'll, and I'll yeah, guess you go once on we here. have a number. Okay, I, I'm ready. Okay, so I'm going to guess that there are 10,000 black bears in the world. Across their entire range throughout North America. So I'm sure there is some form of black bear in Asia and Europe, too. Uh, not in England. They have no bears there. Across their entire range throughout North America, black bears are thought to have a total population of 800,000. Okay, so there's got to be more than 20,000 lions. Then. You would think, but... what uh, I mean... So that's why I guess such a low number of black bears. I'm like, well, there's only 20,000 lions. There's a rough number of 20,000 lions left in the world. There there were 200,000 a century ago. Dude, we're talking about saving sea turtles, which, yeah, that's a great thing, but we got to save the lions. We, it's just the fact that urbanization takes out a lot of the habitats for these animals. So they're confined to smaller ranges. So their populations are smaller. And then we oh, keep them artificially so alive at a level just so that we can look at them. But one day an asteroid will hit the earth and we'll all be dead, <laughs> the lions and the humans. And then the earth will keep turning even without us and everything will be fine. And we but won't have while, to worry about federalism anymore. Right. Won't have to worry about federalism. And the the earth won't care that the lions are gone. The earth won't care that the humans are gone and everything will be completely fine for the earth. It just won't be fine for us. And so on one on one hand, it's very beautiful to uh, try and save biodiversity that we've killed off by being the worst living creature that has ever existed. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, what are we keeping it alive for just so that it can suffer along with us? Who knows? Who knows? Way too deep. Way too deep. And that, that was my thoughts around the lion statues. <laughs> How about oh your fun gosh. fact? Well, boy, this, that's my mind 24 seven, by the way. That's how I, that's uh, how I, this is such an uplifting episode. I, I, if anyone's still listening, kudos to you. Um, all right. So people like you being the, miserable. Misery loves I'm company. Sure. They do. They do. Have you heard the term snarge before? S-N-A-R-G-E, snarge. I've not. All right. So snarge is, uh, speaking of a very uplifting uh, topic, uh, when you are flying a plane Aha, and something sh- gets caught, gets caught into the engine, that is considered to be snarge. So snarge can take a lot of different, uh, a lot of different uh, things. It can be birds. It can be a goose. Uh, in the case of be, Captain can, Sully. Yes, exactly. And that was the most. I was going to ask you, what's the most famous incident of snarge? And you already answered that. So. That is what I learned about. I, I realized that there, uh, what snarge That's was. That's a fun one. word, snarge. Yeah, it is. It, How'd they it come is. up with that? Did, did so, you read that? So I was trying to figure that out, and I, and there, I didn't see a, a real definition of how they came up with that word. Uh, I, I think someone just said, oh, it sounds like snarge, you know. I don't know. So one other thing that I wanted to say, what do you think the most unusual type of snarge, and we'll, we'll limit this to animals, type of animals. Um, 
that's type of snarch gone into is. a plane engine or hit a plane e- yes um well i'm gonna say that it was some kind of treed animal like something that hangs out in a tree and that could jump into the plane right as it's taken off so, so maybe not a bird but like uh like a squirrel or a spider monkey or something <laughs> spider monkey i like that one okay well i I'm, I'm not sure about the spider monkey but i will give you a couple of them that i have on the list turtles oh that's so sad to think that a turtle went into a plane engine S- snakes that's fine and rabbits that's fine and cats that's good i wish there were more <laughs> cats more cats than birds. More cat snarge? More cat snarge than bird snarge, you know? Yes. So anyway, that's what I learned about this week is How snarge. How on earth did any of those animals become snarge? They were floating 30,000 feet above the earth? and just... So 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 snarge doesn't have to happen in mid-flight, right? It can happen. Right when so you turn it, on the jets? Right when you're taking, yes. As so soon as you're starting. This must have all happened in countries like a regional airports, right? I mean, well, this is all based on FAA uh, data. What, in the what hell? I'm looking at, what, I know. What I thought snake the is thing. like climbing into a plane engine at O'Hare? They have a I don't quality know. control issue here. <laughs> There's something that needs well, to be addressed. It, it could have been a snake crawling into a an engine in a you know rural airport. Think Snakes of it that way. Snakes on a plane. Right? Very, very, there you very see crazy. there you go so so one last thing on snarge here um uh I, my numbers are from 2019 so that's the early the most up to date numbers but how many documented snarge strikes do you think there were in 2019 a thousand not even close my friend it's way more than that it, it is a fair fair number more than that 20,000 much closer, 17,358 documented cases of snarge in 2019. That makes sense. Like if you're flying, I would think you'd hit a lot of birds and there's so many flights that happen in the U.S. even yes. on a daily basis. So 1,000 does seem a little bit low. But most yep, of them, mostly all of them have to be birds. Yes, absolutely. And uh, as you well know, we did not have 17,000 airplane crashes in in 2019 in uh, the united states so most of these are uh, a situation where it causes little or no damage i remember us being on a flight once where one of the engines just burned up not maybe it was due to snarge or maybe not Um, (laughs) but it didn't affect us at all because that's why there are other engines on the plane absolutely because planes just use their engines to get up and then they basically just fall out of the sky Absolutely. Yes. For three or four hours. Right. Or longer. Eight hours if you're going to London. Yeah, it could be. Could yeah. be. Okay. This week in chess, not a whole lot going on. Not really any events. So there's nothing really to cover. The candidates is still upcoming. I'm playing a lot of competitive chess. I'm teetering around the 1300 mark. I'd like to be closer to 1500, but what can you do? I have too many other passions. I don't sit down and study chess enough. How about you, Pop? What's new in your week? Well, you mentioned this a little bit last week that I started picking up uh, stand-up paddleboarding. 
and I'm really thoroughly enjoying it on so many different levels. Uh, just being able to get outside and do the exercise, being on the lake, which you know I love water, and just being out in nature, uh, especially here in Arizona, is fun to fun to see. So, just kind of a, a letting you guys know I got a, a Santa pedalboard, love it, and I would encourage anyone who has not ever done it to give it a shot. All right. Thanks for podding with me, Dad, and uh, thanks again to Ted for the intro song, and he's going to take us out right now. We're in this together, you and I, you and I, you and I.